Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Greetings and welcome to the Believe Knicks podcast. I am Matthew Miranda today. Stacey Patton continuing his Carmen Diego life of intrigue. Not back stateside yet, um, still halfway around the world, but should be back in a little over a week, and we will be potting um, together again next week um, when he'll be in a location that has a little more internet stability. Um, recording this on Saturday night at 8.30, the Knicks a few hours earlier in the day fell to the Detroit Pistons by the final score of, I'm sorry, the Knicks fell to the Los Angeles Clippers by a final score of 106-95. to 95. Um, Tough game for the Knicks. They were in it until pretty much late in the third. Like I mean, literally the last second of the third. And then there was an incident, incident which we will discuss uh, as our main point today with Julius Randle. And it did not seem to invigorate the Knicks. Um, Pistons got off to a good little start in the fourth. Knicks made a, a bit of a run, but the game was basically decided. Um, early in the fourth. So Knicks have lost three in a row now. In the standings, they are currently tied for fifth with Brooklyn. The only game I am seeing of note tonight that might affect the Knicks is Miami, is in Orlando. They are currently trailing by two in the middle of the third. Um, Pending the result of that game, the Knicks right now, 39-30. They're tied with Brooklyn for fifth. They are three behind Cleveland. They are two or three ahead of Miami, depending on the outcome of the Heat's game with the Magic tonight. Um, I'm very, very struck today by the fragility of the NBA season, and the Knicks have become an all-too-clear example of that fragility. But let me get the formalities out of the way before we get to the fragilities. BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season, everything from pro and college basketball, to UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, BetOnline is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. So where the pod will start today is um, what happened late in the third. Um, And in a larger sense, um, the Knicks, very late in the season, are facing a couple of questions that there's a couple things all season that I have been wondering, like, are the Knicks going to be able to get through 82 games and not have to be tested in this way? And one I have not written about all year because I don't want to be a jinx. I really get pissed off when announcers, like, joke about the free throw curse. And then the guy, like, misses the free throw. Like, it is a thing. Like, jinxes are a thing. Superstition is a thing. The illogical truth is a thing. Um, we all know this in all parts of our lives. Um, so I haven't said it all year, but the Knicks have been, until now, 
remarkably lucky as far as injuries to their top players. Um, Julius Randle, they said it in the game the other night, Julius Randle has played, I believe, more games and or minutes the last three seasons than anyone in the NBA. Um, I'm pretty sure he led the league in minutes two years ago, and this year he's one of the only players to play in every game, not just on the Knicks, but in the entire league. Um, R.J. Barrett, we'll talk about R.J. a bit more in this pod today. Regardless of anything else that you think about R.J. Barrett, he's a fairly durable dude. Um, So far this season, the Knicks have played 69 games. Randall has played 69 games. Barrett has played 62. Uh, Jalen Brunson has played 62. Quickly has played 67. Hartenstein's played every game. Um, Josh Hart looks like he might never miss a game the rest of his life. He's so like invigorated to be here. I think that's twice I've said invigorated already in this episode. I promise that will be the end of that. But they've had this remarkable durability with health, particularly among their best players, um, particularly given how physical their best players are. When Jalen Brunson turned his ankle, began to get his foot soreness, whatever you want to call it, um, a few games ago, it puts an interesting challenge to the Knicks because it's not just a test of their health, but it's a real test of how far has the team come this season outside of Brunson's brilliance. Like, the Knicks don't have depth when it comes to Jalen Brunson. They have one Jalen Brunson. If they had made the trade for Donovan Mitchell, hey, then now you have two undersized, incredible scoring guards. You have some unusual depth at that position, but they didn't make the deal. I think most of us are happy that they did not at this stage. But for all the depth that the team has, they don't have depth at a guy who can score at three levels, create for others, shoot at a plus efficiency from pretty much all over the floor, also happens to have like leadership capabilities, high IQ among the league leaders and charges drawn. Like There's no depth for that. Jalen Brunson is playing like an all-NBA player, You don't just replace that. But for this team in particular, it feels like so much of the, oh, this is so much better this year. Why? A lot of it either points to Brunson or has been credited to Brunson. I think fairly. I don't think you can underestimate the leap that a team takes when their lead guard goes from Alfred Payton to late-stage Kemba Walker slash Alec Burks to Jalen Brunson at an All-NBA level. Like, that's about as big a leap as you're going to get. So on the one hand, you're not replacing Brunson, but on the other hand, okay, this this trip especially, you're playing quality opponents. Um, they're not people who know you very well and have game-planned for you a ton. You've got a chance to show up, arrive, present this new vision of yourself. Um, let's see how it goes. And... You see that the team, I think, is still growing in this regard because Emmanuel quickly had a, had a very solid game today, had that incredible game in Boston. That bookended uh, the two losses against Charlotte and Sacramento where quickly did not shoot the ball well. That's not all quickly does, thankfully. Um, I don't even think that's the strength of his game. But it opens up an entire other dimension for the team when quickly is shooting well and scoring confidently versus when he is not. So on the one hand, there's the question of health and they're being tested 
And what makes all of it, I think, especially intriguing with the Knicks is the position that they're in. This point that I was making a few minutes ago about fragility. I did a recap, I think, after the last win. Um, kind of shocked in part at how little it seemed was at stake for the last month of the season. This isn't like two years ago, down the stretch, the Knicks could have fallen anywhere from fourth to sixth. They could have played Atlanta. They could have played Miami. They could have really dropped and gotten, I think, Philadelphia. Like, until the end of the season. The Knicks, two years ago, the Knicks literally had to win the last day of the season to cement their position. That didn't look like it would be an issue this time. They were right on Cleveland's heels a few games ago. Um, they still have a game left with the Cavs. If they win it, the Knicks will control the tiebreaker. Um, it's not an imperative. You know, <coughs> you're not driven like, oh, my God, I hope they get that four seed. They're better on the road than they are at home anyway. A couple years ago, when, when this group had never had any success together, I thought it was important that they finished the year like as high as they could, as good as they could. Like the four seed was even more significant than the five seed. I don't think it matters at all this year. I think just get to the playoffs healthy and try to make some noise. Um, so it seemed like really nothing was at stake. Brooklyn seemed to be on the fade. Uh, Miami really struggling with inconsistency. And they seemed pretty locked. Like, okay, they're going to finish four or five. They're going to play Cleveland last couple of weeks. Just, you know, try to stay healthy and, and we'll see you in the playoffs. And now... You're not that far removed from that those days, those golden days. And now, you know, if the Heat win tonight, and they are currently only trailing by two, um, if the Heat win tonight, and they still have two games left with the Knicks, the Knicks are suddenly only two games above the play-in tournament. So we've gone that quickly from, yeah, a very confident, fan base about overcoming Cleveland for four to the seven seed. If they beat you the next two times, I mean, they control their own destiny. So health is a major part of the fragility. There's no replacing Brunson. Um, you see it explicitly in sets, particularly late in games, particularly in, in any kind of a circumstance where the energy is starting to get a bit chaotic. Like Randall has a low boiling point. Um, it is not great for Randall to be, in high-pressure, like, high-frequency situations late in games. Brunson excels at that. Quickly has moments in those conditions, but I think you're really seeing in the last couple of games where the Knicks have had a shot late, um, how they miss Brunson in those situations. It felt like it had been a while since we had seen Randall doing the habitual spinning into double teams, into the lane with when everybody knows what's coming. But I think they're missing that presence on the floor. And so as you're thinking this offseason, you know, what pieces, because we, we all fall in love with the team when they're on a nine-game winning streak, but obviously not every single player is going to be back next year. New people are going to be brought in. The team has a draft pick. The Brunson injury has made me really reconsider the importance and the value of acquiring a better option behind Brunson than what currently exists. And that's not a knock on Quickly. I don't think Quickly is, is explicitly the same kind of player as Brunson. I think Quickly can do 
things that Brunson can do. I think quickly can do a lot of things even that Brunson can't do. But quickly strength is not scoring or shooting. And I think having a guard who can control tempo, having a guard who can – it doesn't have to be a guard, I suppose, but having someone there to control tempo, having someone there who can settle Randall down, <coughs> who can – sorry, my COVID is having a good night. Having someone to slow down the tempo. Having someone just to, like, pull the team together. Having someone who makes those, you know, those difficult shots that don't really add up, but you need them to grind out some of those wins. There's not a lot of people like that. And really, other than Brunson, there's not many players on the Knicks who operate at that temperature. Part of what made their Randall game-winning shot in Miami so stunning was... It was a crazy, intense moment. And almost invariably in those moments, Randall looks like he overheats. Um, it was, it was, I was convinced in the lead-up to that shot when Butler was hounding him um, and Hero was coming from behind and the ball got knocked away. Like I, there was no doubt in my mind that a turnover or a lousy brick was coming. I was stunned when he hit that shot. They don't have a lot of people that you can rely on for that. Maybe Randall's growing into that this season. Brunson seems to already be there, but the Knicks are really missing that right now, which, duh, okay, they're missing their all-star point guard. They're missing a leading candidate for most improved player. That's not really news, but watching the team, it's really glaring, especially given how consistent Brunson has been in presence all year. The other fragility, and I have no idea, I have no idea what to make of this, um, but it's exceptional enough that it seems to warrant some discussion. Late in the third quarter, Randall was um, frustrated with the officials about some calls that he didn't get. It was a physical game. The referees let it be a physical game. They seemed to me pretty consistent um, with how they called the physicality. Randall absolutely had some instances where um, he could have questioned the call or the non-call. And it was clearly bothering him as the quarter was winding down, especially there was a possession where he missed. Um, he went in kind of for a fast break layup. He missed it and appeared to catch his own miss and then go up with it again, which then pissed off all the Clippers. Um, Hartenstein, I think, followed with the finish as they went up the court for, I think, the last possession of the third. Randall much of the way up the floor and then back down on defense is staring at the ref, um, saying something to the ref. Not overly demonstrative, but if you're watching the game and you were watching Randall, you knew it was one of those moments that you were grateful the quarter was coming to an end because you could see that Randall's temperature was starting to go and he was having a very difficult game from the field. Um, the Clippers, Ty Lue talked about it after the game. The Clippers did a wonderful job kind of varying the tempo and the tactic of the defense when they would when they would come and double Randall, when they would look to bother him, when they would, you know, faint and then pull back, when they would blitz him outright. And you can see Randall really struggled with it. The Clippers are the kind of team that have the length and the defenders across their roster to really bother Randall in that kind of way, more than I think most teams. And Randall was was clearly frustrated. Um and so on the last possession, um, or what appeared to be the last possession, um, the Clippers missed 
a three-pointer. I think Mann missed it. And as some Clipper offensive rebounded it and was going up, and Randall and Mason Plumley, Mason, yeah, Mason Plumley, um, were kind of coming together under the under the the boards, under the, the the blackboard. Randall first appeared to really give Plumley a shot right in the back with his elbow, and then after the Clippers scored and the ball came down into Randall's hands, um, he threw an elbow toward Plumley's face. Didn't appear to to make contact, but he definitely didn't not try to. Um, and the referees at that point blew the whistle. They looked at the replay. They called Randall for a technical. He was, before he was called for the technical, furious. I don't know what to make of this um, or if to make of it because really this has not been remotely the commonality this year that it was last season. Last season, there was a lot of this from Julius Randle. Um, it seems to have been, I mean, he was, so to, to go a little bit more into detail about what happened, um, there was a point on the side, I couldn't see the whole event so far from the footage that I've seen. I only saw what MSG had at the time, but there was a point where Tom Thibodeau had his arms around Randall, like basically holding him, trying to restrain him. Not crazy restraining him, but like he was definitely not letting Randall just be free and easy. Um, his teammates, coaches were trying to settle him down. He had a very active um, animated conversation with Fournier. Not for the first time, not for the second time. Even some of the security personnel at the arena around the officials and the replay um, like little booth that they have there. Randall was going back and forth with one of them to the point that another security official was having to talk down and settle down the security official that was going back and forth with Randall. Like, Randall was, like, flame on. And I don't know if it means anything. Randall plays this way. Randall is absolutely one of these players who you saw it to the nth degree against the Wizards. When Kyle Kuzma, you know, decided to get a little mouthy and make the too small gesture after he had one basket where he went into Randall and finished. And Randall torched him after that. Um, and Randall is a player who he seems to have to play that way. Um, he is a high chaos, high energy, internalized kind of person um, on the court. Like, he's not. If you just follow Randall during a game, if you just watch him for a while, like he is not subtle. Like there's so much it's like watching a, a storm just passing back and forth across the floor, up and down. It'd be quiet for a while. But it will also when it comes up, like you know that it's there. And it's happened enough that I don't know and because the Knicks never talked to anyone, there's no way to know. Is this just like this is a Randall thing. Randall has talked very openly and I think very vulnerably and meaningfully about the challenges that he has faced with what he calls his mentals and keeping his mentals on track. And I think everybody can identify with that or most people can. Um, <coughs> Alan Hahn in the broadcast was kind of foreshadowing like, oh, you know, how you don't, 
you don't want to see Julius becoming what he was like last season. I think it's very premature to say that. Um, Randall's had a tough few games. The team has lost three in a row. Um, if you remember interviews with Randall after the Miami game, after the Boston game, even after the Charlotte loss, his temperament has been great recently, at least publicly, from what we can see publicly. Um, his, he seemed to be in a very good mood. I don't think this is last year when this was a, a regular event and actively became one of the most unpleasant parts of last season. Um, whatever was going on with Randall. Um, and I think it's fair to allow that athletes have things that happen in their lives and we don't have a right to know all, what all those things are. But just like any of us, there's days where you cannot put life away when you go to work. Um, I had a day years ago um, when I started teaching at a university in, in Rochester, um, Rochester Institute of Technology, if you have to know the name, it was hell on earth. It was the worst job without question uh, that I have ever had. And it hit a point where, I mean, usually when I'm walking around during the day, my head is constantly cycling through questions, ideas, like my head's all over the place. By that second semester, the only thing you could hear in my head all day was left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. Like I was so hurt and dead inside that like my head had to just literally tell me like, just keep just one step at a time. That's how we're going to have to take it. There was a day that I had to teach and I canceled class and I let my kids know, like, I am absolutely struggling with depression today. I cannot stand in front of a room of 25 people and pretend that I'm not. Like, and luckily, you know, most of the kids who responded to me responded really well and were grateful and talked about um, how they had, you know, related my case to a friend of theirs to help them, you know, take time and self-care for themselves who hadn't. You can't get away from that. I don't know what happened last year. If anything happened in Randall's life, I don't know. Um, but I know that this year I haven't seen anything from him all season that at any point has made me think, uh-oh. And even though today, like, it is striking. It is unusual, especially in today's NBA. You don't tend to see players provoke the kind of reaction that Randall can when he starts to get really upset. It seems as though the people around him like really don't want him to go over the top, which to me is a, there's self-interest there, but there's also, I think these people are family. They spend more time with each other than they do with their own families. <coughs> We've all known, you know, beautiful people who, you just don't want to let certain things, you know, trigger too far with them. And you just work to make sure that that doesn't happen. So the point of all this, this fragility question, like now with the Knicks, there's a couple things going on that you've got to now start taking some measured thinking about and really strategizing and prioritizing things and deciding what are you about? Jalen Brunson's injury is not the kind of thing that's just going to like be gone in three or four days. Like, He's a basketball player, and it's an ankle-foot issue. It's going to be there the rest of the season. I'm sh I know they don't want to slip 
in the standings. I know especially – I mean, it probably means more to them than than it normally would to finish ahead of Brooklyn in the standings. It's also, I think, just a better matchup for them if they can get Cleveland rather than Philly or Milwaukee or even Boston, who's lost some games. But I think, to me, like, fine. Like, make your decision that you're not going to fall behind uh, number six. or You still have time, to, whatever, with number five. I just need Brunson healthy when the playoffs come around. I would rather have the Knicks finish seventh and have Brunson be as healthy as possible for the play-in and the playoffs than keep bringing him back like they have. I mean, it's only happened once, to be fair. But, like, Brunson, I think again today they said x-rays were negative, which means at some point they're going to bring him back. And for all we know, the exact same thing. If in his first game back he looks good, and then all of a sudden, midway through the second quarter, <coughs> he pulls up for a jumper and he lands awkwardly on someone's foot. Like, this could, this will be an issue the rest of the season. So the question is, what do the Knicks want to get? And you as a fan, what do you want to get under the rest of this regular season? It's different for everybody. I was talking, I did a pod on my other pod last night, um, Jacobin Sports Show. I was talking to Mike Island, um, who's a soccer coach and a, and a writer. And we were talking about, we're both fans of the New York Rangers in hockey. Um, I started following the team in the 80s really closely. He started following them in 1994. So we've both seen the Rangers win a Stanley Cup, which affects, I think, your reality as a fan now. Like, I've seen the team win a cup. It's not as <coughs> essential to me that, I'm not the kind of fan who has to see the Rangers win a Stanley Cup. If they're good, I'm happy. Like I've never seen the Knicks win. I follow the Knicks closer than any of my other teams. I have followed the Knicks closer than any of my other teams since 1990, basically. I want to see them win. I don't care where they finish in the standings this season. They're not going to win a title. I don't need them to win a title. I have felt since last summer... My barometer for this team was never going to be how they finished in the standings or how they did in the playoffs. The barometer was going to be a year, like by the end of this season, how do you feel about where the project is going forward? How do you feel about the coach? How do you feel about the front office? Did the Brunson move work out? Did not training for Mitchell work out? And I would say on, on basically every single count of significance, the answer is good job, Knicks. Good job, Knicks. Good job, Knicks. So it would be extremely disappointing to watch the Knicks lose, you know, a disappointing first round series when Brunson can't play because I don't know, he's broken his ankle. I don't want that. Um but I feel and I've I've seen the team through the nineties, I've seen my team get to the finals twice, I've seen them win sixty games, I've seen them be a quarter away from a championship. I've seen them be literally a, a shot, a fingertip away. So I've seen almost everything with the Knicks. So I understand that this is probably different than it is if you're someone who started watching the team, you know, 10 years ago and you've never seen them do anything. Or if you even if you started watching the team 20 years ago and you want, you know, come on, like, let's see some winning. Let's Let's have a magical season. I think if they were fully healthy, they could be absolutely a team that, could get to the second round and would not be a fun matchup for whoever they met. 
I think if Brunson is compromised with injury, it drops their ceiling enormously. Um, but I'm not bothered by it. I'm disappointed. Like, and this is all this is all admittedly very premature. Brunson could be out another week and then come back and be pretty fine. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with his injury. It just seems to me like it's unrealistic to think that you're going to see peak Jalen Brunson again at any point this season, given the nature of the injury. And given the fact that the Knicks are probably going to, you know, if the Knicks had won two of the last three games, maybe there's some room down the road late in the season to give Brunson just straight up off days, but they very well might be playing for seeding now until the very last day of the season. It'll be interesting, I think, to see how the organization values health versus maximizing their their run this season. Those are the two main issues that really stand out to me at this point. Um, They still have two more games on the road trip. The next will be in the exact same city and same arena tomorrow to take on the Lakers. That's a national game. I believe it's at 9 p.m. Um, They'll close out the West Coast trip next week in Portland. And then after that, when they return home, their first two games at home are also against Western teams, one against Denver and one against Minnesota. I am very happy to announce that I will be attending my first Nick game in about, good Lord, since like 1995. Uh, A friend of the show very kindly gifted me a couple of tickets to go on the 27th to see the Knicks play the Rockets. Um, I've seen two games in my life. I saw the Knicks in 1991 beat the Utah Jazz in a game where Carl Malone and Jerry Sloan both got ejected. And then in the mid-90s, I saw the Knicks win a game at home against the Pacers. Um, and that's it. Have not been back since. Have not been to an NBA arena since then. Um, but these are really nice seats and very unexpected. Um, and I'm very excited to be going to that game. So uh, if you're at the Rocket game on the 27th, let me know. Happy to say hello and uh, share some greetings and salutations with you before the evening begins. So that's it. They'll be home for Denver, Minnesota, and then they pretty much wrap it up against most of the Eastern teams after that. Um, Stacy will be back on the air with me by, I would say, the middle of next week. Um, again, this is Saturday night, the 11th. You'll probably be hearing this, well, I don't know, the 11th or the 12th. So you'll hear me and Stacy soon, and then we'll probably be back on our regular schedule um, about a week after that. So as always, um, the show is presented by Bet Online. It's also presented and produced and everything else by me and Stacy. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy your weekend. Hopefully, the Knicks turn out uh, and get a, that win, get the losing streak stopped. I think if they beat the Lakers, the, the ship is pretty settled. And if they can close the trip by beating the Lakers in Portland, I think they're fine. If they lose to the Lakers, like, okay, four-game losing streak is not a good thing, especially compounded by the Brunson injury. But we'll see what happens. Um, I'm sure we will talk after the Laker game, maybe after the Portland game too. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.